Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. All right. Everybody's doing good this morning? We survived spring break. Barely. And all the parents said, thank God it's over, maybe. Our kids are little, so we're always on spring break. We're always home. So this morning, we're going to uh, continue our study on the, on the basics of the Christian faith. So today, uh, we're, we're going to continue to look at Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. You know, it com- communicates the, the basic or the foundational principles of our faith. So uh, we just have to be reminded that, you know, that our foundational principles have to be established if we're going to build up our spiritual house. Just like a natural house, you're never going to establish the walls. You're not going to frame it out. You're not going to put the roof down unless there's a, there's a sturdy foundation. We all know the story about the man that built his house on the sand, right, which, which really represents a non-established, a non-firm foundation, right? So we have to understand that when we build on the rock, who is what? Christ, that house has a firm foundation. It's unshakable. It will not fail. So when we look at these basic foundational principles, we got to understand that this is what Christ is talking about. When we establish our life on these basic principles, our spiritual house will stand. So if you're a first-time visitor or you weren't here these two previous weeks, you probably aren't going to know the answer as long as they didn't. Okay, they didn't give you the slide. What were the first two principles we covered the last two weeks? Not foundation. What are they? Man, I'm going to have to start back at number one. Repentance. Just repentance or repentance unto dead works. And then what's the next one? Faith towards who? Towards Christ or towards God? Towards God through Jesus, right? Got to have those words right or you would fail the test. Teachers aren't going to give you a little freebie card. If you write the wrong word, guess what? Big red X. But in church, we give you a grace card. God, Jesus will let it fly, right? So faith towards God. So the first one was what? Repentance from dead works and then faith towards God. So just real quick, repentance is, remember, it's a changing of our mind. We completely change our understanding of that sin. It's a turning away. It's completely walking in a completely different direction. And then faith towards God. You know, faith is believing. We look, you know, if we look at uh, Hebrews 11, 1, it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So it's not necessarily just geared towards what we can see, but it's believing in the unseen. You know, so faith really is the concept of pleasing, you know, the key, it's the, faith is the key to pleasing God, but it's also simply believing in what God has said. That's the, that's the premise of what faith, faith is based on, believing what God said he will do, what he will accomplish, everything written in his word. Not because I, I heard it out of Jesus' mouth, but because I've read it in this word. And what does the word produce? Faith, right? So we talked about how, you know, faith comes by hearing the word. And, and as the word is preached, faith arises within us and causes faith towards God to happen. Right? You know, so Hebrews 6, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. 
not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, which is the first one, faith towards God, and now we're going to look at this one this week, instructions about baptisms. So that's what we're going to look at this week. If we keep on going through that scripture, the next one is laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So I've shared every week that if we look at the premise of how these are set up, it really starts from the beginning to the end of the Christian experience. It starts with repentance, which is a big deal, figuring out, man, that we've sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We repent, and then we have faith towards God through Christ, which is the salvation experience. So then what happens after that salvation experience? Man, so glad you asked. (laughs) Baptisms. Okay, so it's really cool how this is mapped out because it really gives us the framework for establishing. You just don't want to jump into baptism if you haven't been saved or you don't have a relationship with God. Right? You've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, we just don't want to go to baptisms, right? We want to go in that progressive order. So today we're going to look at the third topic that is the doctrines of baptism or to make it easier because when we say doctrines, I don't want anybody checking out and saying doctrines, oh, this is too deep. This is theological stuff. It's really just saying instructions about baptisms. We're okay with instructions, right? We've had them our whole life from when we were wee little growing up. Some of us didn't like the instructions. We got a lot of spankings. We got a lot of discipline, but... We were instructed, right? So just like we are instructed as we grow as children, we're instructed as Christians by the word of God how to respond and what to do in regards to these things. So notice as we look at this scripture, uh, it communicates baptism in the plural form. It implies that there is more than one baptism. It just doesn't say baptism because if it just said one, well, then we would be looking at a baptism, not baptisms. So today we're really going to look at, you know, that, that uh, this scripture implies that there's more than one bab- baptism, therefore we need to establish what are these baptisms that it's talking about as the foundational basics, okay? So understanding the instructions about baptism, it's a basic foundational doctrine. These are basics. This is elementary principles. This isn't stuff that, oh, you know, these are things that we need to establish so that we might grow on to Maturity. You know, we've, we've continually reiterated, man, that our ultimate goal is to cause you to grow. So what does that mean? That means getting these principles down, applying them, meditating on the word. I hope that after a, a service like this or we present a word to you, that you go back and you read the word of God for yourself. I can mess stuff up or I can get it, con- I, I maybe can confuse you. Not that I'm intentionally trying to lead you astray, but you may hear something wrong or not hear right. Go back to the word of God. If there's any confusion, allow the word of God to really clarify that. I do the best that I can to communicate it in a way that's easy to understand, that's kind of in a systematic thought process, not just random chaos. But I have been known to take a bunny trail or two, right, to get get on a side note. So make sure that you go back, you read through these passages you know, that we have an understanding of what, about what the instructions about baptisms really is. So baptisms are a critical part of our foundation of the faith. We must have an understanding of what it is. So the, the, the word baptize in the Greek is baptisma, okay? So we have to have an understanding. We're going to give you a little bit of the framework of the history of the word so that we can give us an understanding of why we believe what we believe and how these words are applied. So baptisma, it means baptism by immersion or submersion, What does that mean? That means I'm going to completely dunk you. You're going to go completely under the water. You know, you have different, sometimes different uh, understandings of baptism. You guys have heard of sprinkling infants. You know, it's a sprinkling. Sprinkling is totally different than immersion. 
It's totally, one's going to get you a little damp, one is going to oversaturate you to the fullness of where there's not a dry part of your body left, right? It's going to completely submerge you underwater. It's going to be something that completely overtakes you. It, it completely washes you. Okay, so in this church, this is really why we support, you know, the idea of baptizing by complete immersion in water. You know, it's not a sprinkling, but a complete water immersion, a complete dunking, right? Completely under. So the two baptisms that we're really going to look at today, you know, is the baptism of water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we also have to understand, you know, I, man, I really worked hard this week looking at, uh, you know, the different baptisms, what they symbolize. And, you know, really there was John's baptism, which was, you know, three years prior to Christ coming. And then there's what you call the Christian baptism, which was the symbolism of what Jesus did and what he commands us to do. And then there's also a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, so I was, you know, man, I was fighting. I was like, what's the difference between John's baptism? What's the difference between Jesus's baptism? Is there a difference? Is there anything that we really need to look at? It's the same baptism, but, you know, John's baptism was a baptism unto forgiveness for the repentance of sins. And then once Jesus came, the ultimate price had been paid. So some of the wordage and some of the, the authority, you know, in order to, to accomplish all that God desired us to accomplish had been established now. You know, so there was a little bit of a change, right? You know, but John's baptism and the Christian baptism that we, that we practice today is, is the same. There was still immersion underwater. There was still baptism, you know, but the focus was uh, always, always uh, forgiveness for the, the, for the remission of sin. Sin was the focus. You know, we think of the culture that they were in also, right? You know, blood sacrifice was still happening, but, but he was the bridge really foreshadowing what, what baptism would be. It says that John, what? He prepared the way of Jesus, he didn't say stay in John's baptism and don't move from there, but he says one is coming greater than I. You know, what I do now, there's gonna be, there's gonna be, a, there's gonna be more to it than this, right? So when we look at Acts 1.5, it says, for John, John the Baptist, truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You know, if we look at a passage from Joel 2, 28 through 29, you know, this was a prophetic word in the Old Testament, and if you look in Acts 2, 14 through 21, that's actually, you know, he states that this is what, what Joel prophesied. So we're going to look at the passage from Joel, but it's also communicated in Acts 2, 14 through 21, that's saying what is happening now is what Joel prophesied. That's the coolest thing about the Word of God. All in the Old Testament, there was a lot of prophetic words given that came to pass in the New Testament. So the coolest thing, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a play or something where there's intermission. You like get the first half, there's an intermission, and then you see the second half. You know, before Jesus came, they went through the first half, they went to the intermission, and they didn't get to see the other part. Now, for some of us, that would be super frustrating to be right where it's getting to the point, oh man, this is going to be a really good plot, this is going to be a really good story. If the movie theater turned it off and said, all right, that's all you get. I want my money back, right? We would be frustrated because we don't see the whole thing. But we live in a day of age where we've seen the whole picture. We have the word of God. We've, you know, we're, not in, we're still not in that, under that old covenant, but we're living under a new covenant. Man, and it's so much better to live on this side of, of, of the law, you know, where we are not required to do anything else because the grace of God, the blood of Christ has covered all of our sins, you know, I'm sure if you, like in the Old Testament, you saw your buddy, hey, where are you going? Going to get another goat. What do you mean going to get a goat? I sinned again, man. I got to, you know, that process of the law. You know, just, I mean, I just, it's like, oh, 
Get one for me too, brother, on your way, because I'm sure I'm going to need one. You know, think about it. You know, living under the law, man, it was a complicated thing. And I, you know, I think, you know, that that blood covenant, let's say, you know, I was, I had just sinned and I'm running to get my goat and I fall over and I die. To me, it's always a scary, it's like, um, no blood applied, therefore I had sin, it wasn't yet redeemed. Man, it was just, it's just a harder process, right? But we live under a new covenant. So let's look at this Joel 2, 28 through 29. It says, and it shall come to pass afterwards, so this afterwards was a long time frame. It wasn't just like, hey, tomorrow it's gonna happen. Man, this was a long time after. It says that I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. That's every single one of us, right? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also your men servants and your maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So this, like I said, in Acts 2, 14 through 21, if you want to make a note, if you're taking notes, you can look at that. In the New Testament, it says, this that is happening now was prophesied by Joel, but is now happening right now. But think about that. It says that, you know, there, there, when it says shall, it is gonna happen. Every time the word of God communicates that, and if we look, it shall come to pass afterwards. Your son and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old man shall dream dreams. Your young man shall see visions. So this is prophetic wordage of that it is going to come to pass at some point. Right? So in Acts 2, all in, you know, all in the book of Acts, if you've never read through the book of Acts, I would highly encourage it. It will blow your mind as far as what happened, that process, the, 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 uh, the effectiveness of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit did, what it, what it, how it caused the disciples to really go to the next level. That's maybe the best way I can put it, you know, because they, they were with Jesus. They, they were followers of Jesus. They were disciples of Jesus. And then when Jesus went to heaven, he said, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And then we see them continuing in the work of the ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Acts 2, 38 through 39, we shared this uh, these last few weeks. It says, what shall we do? Have you ever been at that place? You know, you, so we think about it. We've, we've, uh, We've re repented from our sins. We had faith in God. You know, we're, we're talking about, okay, now what do I do? What do I do next? You know, because that's always kind of the, the question that a lot of us have at this place where I'm at. What do I do next? So here's how they replied. Verse 38. It says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we got to understand that that baptism is talking about water baptism, Right? It says, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why did it change instead of just forgiveness for the remission of sins to Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ had already went to heaven, is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, and now we, can, now we have a mediator between us and God. Right? It, sa it says, so, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and... So this is something separate from, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why can the gift of the Holy Spirit be given? Because Jesus has, is now with the Father, and he promised to send this gift of the Holy Spirit once he made it to heaven. So before Jesus came and died, was buried, was dead, and raised again, and, and before he was sitting at the right hand of God, the Holy Spirit couldn't yet be given. Verse 39, it says, and this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. So if the Lord has called you unto salvation, he's also given you the Holy Spirit or he desires to give you the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, so we're going to look in just a little bit about how do we receive the Holy Spirit? What do we do to receive the Holy Spirit? But I'm, gonna, I'm just going to highlight a certain thing. It says the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is really the, the linchpin that really changes everything. A gift is something that has to be received. Right? It's something that I have to take. If I'm gifting you something, it's something that I have in my possession and I'm taking it and I'm offering it to you. So if I'm offering you a gift, you have a chance to actually receive it or reject it. It's not something that you just have to have, but it's a gift that's given and it's your choice to receive it or not. So Matthew 3.11, you know, this is, this is where we talk about John's baptism. So it says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me, who is he talking about? Jesus, right? So who, he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And this was given by God through Jesus. Right? So baptize, it means to be completely immersed into water. This is usually by a pastor, by a church. You know, there's some people that'll go to the river. I've seen swimming pools been used for baptism. It's not necessarily the place, it's more the act of baptism. And then, and then the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, this, is, this act is done by the Holy Spirit alone. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. There's nothing that we can conjure up. You know, I can't dunk you twice <laughs> and that, that causes you to receive the Holy Spirit, right? All that would be would be water baptism twice, right? You know, it's something that the Holy Spirit has to release in your life. But it's something that we have to ask for. So let's walk through this whole progressive process of what has happened so far up to this point. So it says, we've come, you know, we've come to a place where the message of Christ has been preached. It says that we, you know, we're cut to the heart and we respond with what, a what can I do attitude, right? We've come to the, to the saving knowledge of who Christ is. What shall I do? So we respond with true repentance and true faith. So our hearts have been radically changed by the power of God. And we see in Acts 2.38 that that we are to be baptized in water, declaring our profession of faith in a decision to follow Christ. Now, there were religious leader, leaders at the time who were wanting to be baptized. And what did, what did John say? He said, you brood of vipers, man. You, what are you doing? You know, you're doing it just so that you can say you are a Christian, not because of transformation of your heart. So you can, you can not have a relationship with Christ, you can not surrender your life to Christ, and you can be baptized and pretend you're a Christian all day long, but that doesn't make you saved. You can pretend and you can walk the walk, but, it, but really is what's gonna happen because it also goes on there and it talks about fruit. It says, hey, if, if I, I need to see fruit in your life that you are professing Christ as your Lord and Savior, it says by your fruit you'll be known what kind of tree you are. And then he goes on to this prophetic word. He says, you don't, don't you know that the ax is already at the root of the tree cutting down all those things that are false, all those things that are, that are fake? And we know through the scripture, it says that, they will, that those trees will be pulled out, they'll be uprooted, and they'll be thrown into a blazing fire, right? Because God only knows our heart. But they were concerned about what outward appearance and that's one thing, man, that'll, that, man, it'll destroy your life if you, if you worry about what people think. And, and all of our motives are, you know, or just trying to look good. Oh, man, I'm a perfect Christian. I never sin. Liar. Right? Think about that. You know, like, because that's the, that's the connotation we want to present to the other Christians around us. Oh, we got this figured out, buddy. We are clean. We're good to go. And the reality of it, 
man, we're, we're sinners, but we're saved by grace. And we're made righteous by Christ. And there's still sinful nature in me that needs transformation and needs continual changing that I'm going to fight with my whole life until I go to heaven. But the grace of God is sufficient in every situation. Right? You know, that's the difference. It's not that we're good, you know, because I think that's the arrogant side of Christianity to where, and some people think that, oh, we're supposed to be flawless. But that's, that's, not, a, that's not a good understanding of what being a Christian is really about and what, it's, what it really represents and what it actually is. You know, but, it's a, but remember, baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's a work that the Holy Spirit does and it's sin, sent by God, Right? So we've, we've been baptized in water, you know, declaring our public profession of faith in a decision to follow Christ. You know, Romans 6, 4 in the New King James Version, I think it kind of clarifies it a little bit better. It says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. So Peter continues to say, he says, repent and be baptized. So we follow the guidance of scripture and we're baptized into water that represents the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. So we died with Christ so that we might also live with him. Not just in heaven, but in this lifetime. You know, I think that's the, that's the, 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 the wrong idea. We say, well, when we get to heaven, it's gonna be okay. But God wants us to live victorious lives now, today, right now in this moment that we would live lives, living a victorious life. You know, so that when we emerge out of water, you know, we leave the old dead man buried in the watery grave. So we think about it, you know, when, you know, when, we, when we baptize in water, you go below the surface of the water. When you come out, the dead man stays dead and the new man is resurrected unto new life. That's what it symbolizes, but I believe that there can also be a very uh, impactful moment when we choose to be obedient to God's word through baptism. I've heard stories upon stories upon stories. Man, you know, I was saved, I repented, I had faith. But I'll tell you what, when I got baptized in water, when I was obedient to what God's word had commanded me to do, all of a sudden something changed. It's not that I was a different person. It's not that we didn't sprinkle any Jesus juice in the water but it was because we were obedient to the word of God and every time we're obedient to the word of God, it produces something in our lives to benefit us, right? Every single time we're obedient to it. You know, so we, we go in that, we, uh, we're buried unto death in that watery grave and the new man is raised to walk in newness through, of life through Christ. So if we, if we go through and we look at all the previous scriptures, you know, there's always a, a, a reference to to a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, even John said, I baptize with water, but somebody's coming that's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You know, there was always a second part because we're, we're standing at that moment of where the Holy Spirit is about to be poured out. This is the people at this time, they were talking because they were getting so close to that moment. And through those prophetic words, somebody is coming that's greater than I. But when we look at the scriptures, you know, there's always a reference to baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it says that the Holy Spirit would soon come and be poured out on all flesh. Matthew 3, 11, we already referenced that. It says, this is not a baptism of water, but this is a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. 
So the question I would encourage you or ask you this morning is, is, are there signs that you have received a baptism, right? So when we're baptized with water, you come out wet. I can guarantee it. If you're confused when you come out and say, well, I don't know if I was dunked or not, I can dunk you again. You are gonna come out wet. There is evidential change that you were dry, you're wet, you were baptized. There is an outward sign of receiving a water baptism, right? So likewise, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, power and boldness are released in your life. There is an evident sign that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, right? I think if we have an outward sign of water baptism, we should have an outward sign of supernatural Holy Spirit baptism, so there is, a, there is a change. There is undeniable evidence that baptism has actually happened. Acts 1.8, it says, but, when you receive, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power, right here. We got any power out there? No, no power. Wake up, man, come on. Stretch it out, right? It says power. So if we had power previously, why would it say that? It says, when the Holy Spirit comes, then you will receive power. So this had to have been talking about a different level of power. I'm not talking forgiveness or repentance, or, you know, or, hey, you know, this religious humble jumbo of, hey, I'm right before God. Now, this is a power. It says, you, you know, because, you know, to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's a prerequisite. You have to be saved. You can't just go on to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you've never had just salvation under Christ. There is a prerequisite. Now, I do think it's really, really cool that, you know, they talk about in Scripture, it says, be baptized in water, and then you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, Noe, is it okay if I'm just baptized with the Holy Spirit, but I'm not baptized in water? I mean, you're not going to go to hell over it, right? But I believe it's a principle that God wants us to walk in every single one of these acts of obedience. Because each and every single one of these things accomplish a little bit of a different purpose. Right? Repentance, Why? because I have to have a change of mind of what I think. Faith, because my faith, I have to be dependent on God my whole life, my whole Christianity. Faith is pivotal. Baptism, man, you know, water baptism, man, my, my pro proclamation of my faith to follow Christ all the days of my life. That's a big deal. Because once you do that, buddy, there's no turning back, almost. You know, if you get baptized today and the next week I see you acting like a fool, or somebody else that said, hey, I thought you were baptized. Whoa, buddy, we're going to have a conversation, right? Because we've given a, a proclamation that we are going to be followers of Christ. And then it says, then you will also be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It says, you will receive power. Let's look at John 14. You have your word. Let's turn to it. Now we can pull it up on the screen also. John 14, we're going to look at 12 through 27. So, th so this is the passage of where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. So this is Jesus talking to the disciples in regards to the Holy Spirit of what was going to happen, who the Holy Spirit is, and what he would accomplish, and what he would do. So John 14, 12 through 27. We'll start there in verse 12, chapter 14 of John. It says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what, what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. So if we stop there, man, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. He's going to do greater things than what Jesus did. So I'm always one of those guys that say, man, I just want to do what Jesus did, much less more and greater things. He did some awesome stuff. And then it goes on, because I am going to the Father. 
and I will do whatever he asks in my name, so that the Son may be glorified to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So this is talking about Jesus Christ being the mediator unto God. You ask me for anything because the price has been paid. You know, it's almost like Jesus is sitting there next to God. You know, he's on his right side, so technically he'd be on the left side. So if I'm Jesus, God's here. You know, it's like, hey, my kid's asking for something. Our children need something. Pop, pop. Hey, pops, can you please give it to him? He says, according to my will, absolutely. We have to understand, you know, that once that mediation is made and Jesus is sitting next to the Father, we have all kinds of things available to us. That is the new covenant we're living in right now. That he is sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for the saints on our behalf. So that means even when we don't know what we need or we don't know what to pray for, that he's still giving us those things because he's a good father. He loves us. We'll go on in that passage. It said, you know, so right here, starting in verse 15, it says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So all of these things to be baptized, to repent, to faith, all of these things are things that Jesus asks us to do in his word. It says, I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So let me give you a little bit of nugget of information. As we read through this, this counselor, this spirit of truth, this is the, in reference to the Holy Spirit, who this Holy Spirit is as a person. We have to understand that also, right? That we have, we, have, we have Father God, we have Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit. They're three directly connected. You know, one is God the Father. You know, Jesus is God the Son. And the Holy Spirit is kind of the same of the two, but he's in spirit form, which means that he's unhindered by time or space or he can be everywhere all at one time he can be inside of me and he can be inside of each of you at the exact same time and some of you are like like man that's crazy concept that's how it works that's why i said man you would even do greater things why because no he can be over here doing this blackie can be over there doing that becky can be over here doing this and we're all filled and empowered with the holy spirit and we're being effective everywhere we are right it says that it would be better Right? So the spirit of truth, let me keep going. So the world cannot accept him. You hear that? The world cannot accept the Holy Spirit because it neither sees him nor it knows him. So this is saying, if you are not saved, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot receive the Holy Spirit. But, now it's talking to you, but you know him for he lives in you and, and uh, he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. So think about this. We know, we've, seen, we've seen the whole picture, right? That Jesus dies. He leaves his disciples. The disciples are scattered. We see the whole picture in scripture. So it says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, um, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. Okay, verse 20, it says, on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and that you are in me and that I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and will show myself to him. Let's go down to verse 25 real quick. Okay? It says in verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you. So he gives, he's communicating, he's encouraging the disciples that it's going to be Okay. You know, because I'm sure they were thinking, why are you going to leave us? You know, because I think of my kids. If I just walk out on them, but you're coming back, right? You know, just think of that panic fear of like, 
He is going to leave us and we're going to be abandoned. We're going to be orphans. We're going to be misguided children from here out, right? That's not what he was saying. He says, you know, that I will be with you. Oh, he spoke this while he was still with them so that they would be confident in what he said, right? Verse 26, it says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So the Holy Spirit is going to be sent in whose name? In Jesus' name, but for that to happen, Jesus has to go sit at the right hand of God, and now the God can send the Holy Spirit on the behalf of Jesus to the earth. Okay? So there was a process that had to happen. And so this is what the Holy Spirit will do. It says, the, the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you and my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Okay, so he talks about sending the Holy Spirit, you know, so what, what does he do? He teaches you, he reminds you, it says that, you know, he's, he's a counselor, you know, he's, he's a God of all comfort, he's a spirit of truth, so that means that everything the Holy Spirit is going to teach you and show you and reveal to you is always going to be aligned with the word of God. Give you a life note right here. If you ever feel the Holy Spirit telling you something that is contrary to the word of God, you better check it. Because the, the, the Holy Spirit is always going to be in line with the Word of God every single time. You cannot separate the Holy Spirit from the Word of God. He is the Word. And the Holy Spirit is Jesus and is God, and they're all connected. So they're not going to be, one's not going to be going left and one's not going to be going right. They're always going to be consistent with each other. Luke eleven thirteen 13, it says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So how do you get the Holy Spirit? By what? Asking him, right? How do you receive salvation? By asking him, right? All of the, there's conditions to it, right? We have to ask. So we must ask God to give us the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is received just like salvation. It's simple faith or it's saving faith. You know, each of us have this faith within us. It's something that's available. It's something that we have within us. So we have to be reminded that these passages in the gospel, Jesus was speaking about the promised Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out because Jesus had not yet gone to the Father, right? So the most exciting part is realizing that the work has you know, has now been completed and that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and will give the Holy Spirit to all who ask. All who ask, okay? You know, receiving, receiving the Holy Spirit, you know, is a separate process than salvation. We need to make sure we understand that because some people think, well, if I receive salvation, I've received the Holy Spirit, right? You know, so in receiving the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, this is really what unites with your transformed spirit and it produces power. So when we receive salvation, our spirit man is renewed to be just like Christ. So you got the spirit that is just like Christ. It loves God. It, it's motivated towards the things of God. And then you have the Holy Spirit that comes and kind of unites with that spirit man and it produces power and life and bestows all kinds of crazy, awesome gifts in your life, right? So how was the Holy Spirit manifested in the book of Acts? You know, so how did the disciples know when the Holy Spirit had been received? So Acts 2, 4, it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, 
right? It says, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, so don't, make sure I don't lose anybody. Let's stay with this, all right? It says that when they received the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues. So does that mean that, like if I'm talking right now and I keep talking in English in another tongue, does that mean that it's a different language? Does that mean that it's a, it's a different kind of language? You know, when I say different kinds of tongues, you know, there, there's, and there's the argument of saying, you know, was this an angelic language? Was this a, a language that was known by people? You know, regardless of wherever the heck we get on this, on this discussion, it says that they spoke with other tongues, right? You know, Jesus, or this is something that Jesus said, Acts 2, 33, it says, exalted to the right, well, sorry, exalted to the right hand of God, which is Jesus, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So it talks about when the Holy Spirit's poured out, it's not something that you just see with your eyes, but you also hear with your ears. So how can you hear with your ears unless there's a spoken word in tongues coming out? It's really, a, I mean, maybe you could be like mumbling under your breath, but it's still something coming out in an in a audible kind of way, right? It's you now, the Holy Spirit being poured out, what you now see and hear. So scripture is really consistent in those that were baptized in the Holy Spirit spoke with tongues as an outward sign of their infilling of the Holy Spirit. And you guys read through Acts and you can, you can check that for yourself to see oh, every time it's really consistent with the, with the idea that when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you speak in an unknown tongue. So we need to make sure, you know, that we, that we kind of understand, you know, that when we talk about speaking in an in a unknown tongue, let me just separate the two for you. So this is a completely different function than communicated in 1 Corinthians 12, which talks about spiritual gifts where we have a word spoken in tongues and interpretation. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit that is given by the Holy Spirit, but it's not the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit, right? Because we see that... Uh, you know, that, that, that this kind of tongues with, inter with interpretation is for church edification, but the tongues that is, that is received upon initial receiving of the Holy Spirit is for personal edification. So we got to understand that there is a, there's, there's a tongues for church edification and there is a tongues for personal edification, okay? And I'm going to give you some uh, scriptures coming up to kind of support that idea a little bit. So the Holy Spirit changes man so that man might change the, wor the, the world. So Acts 2, 11, so check this out. It says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our known tongues. So when, when all of these people began to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in a tongue they didn't know, but you got to understand that there was a bunch of people from different different tribes and different, you know, that spoke multiple languages, like United Nations where there was a bunch of different people and they all spoke and some began to speak in other tongues and these other ones over here said, hey, I hear them making praises to God in my tongue. How the heck does that guy know it? But it's only by the Spirit. So the first challenge would be that when we speak in a tongue, it is an actual another language, but it's not one that we've learned. It's not like I can... Speak a little bit of Spanish, like I'm just conjuring up this, oh, let me, como estas? Like, oh, he's speaking in tongues now. No, I know that. Now, if I started speaking 100% Spanish, that has to be by the Holy Spirit because I don't know it, right? It's, it's in an unknown, unlearned tongue because it says, I hear them praising God in our language. How is, are these guys drunk? 
They couldn't figure it out. They couldn't wrap our mind around it. So there is, there is some biblical support that says, man, these other tongues that were spoken by men as an infilling of the Holy Spirit, as an evident sign of receiving the Holy Spirit, was an actual language. You know, now sometimes, you know, if you've ever prayed in a prayer language, you're like, man, this makes no sense, but it's not known to the, to the speaker, but, it's, but God understands it, right? Okay? So 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. So here we get into another side that says, well, maybe it's an angelic language. Okay, if it's an angelic language, that's fine also. Why? Because God understands that too. Right, so we don't want to get caught up, is this a natural language, is this something? The main thing is that it's unlearned. It doesn't matter if it's a, if it's a human language or it's an angelic language. The main thing is that it's, it's consistent with Scripture to say that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you begin to speak in other tongues. First Corinthians 14, 2, it says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his, what? Spirit. So that's not my mind. That's the spirit man inside of me. That's the infilling of the Holy Spirit coming out of me. And it's like, what the heck is going on? You know, because in our natural mind, it doesn't make sense. But in our spirit, it agrees with the word and it really can edify ourselves. 1 Corinthians 14, 18 through 19, this is Paul speaking. It says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So did Paul speak in tongues? Just from that statement. He says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. You know, I don't know if that was like a sassy remark or if it was just like, hey, just uh, as a matter of fact, I speak in tongues more than all of you. You know, I don't know how, you know, how they took it, right? You know, but it says, uh, but, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So here he separates the two. He says, I would rather speak in English in, an, in a known tongue to you and edify you than to speak in my prayer language or my tongues that has been received through the baptism of the Holy Spirit because that wouldn't edify the church. That would edify me. But Paul functions in both. But he also keeps that consistent order that when I'm, when I'm speaking in tongue for personal edification, I keep it over here in my own personal prayer language. But when I, when I speak in a tongue over here for the church, there better be an interpretation of that tongue so that the body might be edified. Make sure we separate these two concepts because if we all lump them together, man, you're going to be so crazy confused if you don't realize that there's two different applications for speaking in tongues. Okay. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift that God has given to us to cause us to accomplish all that we need in this lifetime. You know, otherwise Jesus needed to stick around forever, right? But he says, it's better that I go away. You know, this, a gift is something that we have to willingly receive and it's by faith. You know, I think the hardest thing about receiving the Holy Spirit or the understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, man, like this sounds crazy. This sounds so complicated. I cannot help but try to figure it out in my mind. And you see that being a big barrier block for a lot of people of why they can't really receive the Holy Spirit because, man, I'm trying to figure this out. Guess what? You're not going to figure it out. Think about faith unto salvation. Really try to figure that out. Was it something that you had to figure out and figure out every detail of it or, or was it something you just believed in and then you saw your life transformed? Same way with receiving the Holy Spirit. You have to just believe that it's a gift that's available to you when you receive it through faith. It's just something that comes out. 
Now, hopefully God gives you an understanding like, man, this is crazy. God, I don't understand it. You know, I just think it's gonna be one of those things that we have to trust in faith that it's for our benefit. And we need, to, we need to see what God's word says in regards to it that we'd understand what it is. You know, if we, uh, let's look at Acts real quick. Acts 9, 17 through 20. That's the story of Saul to Paul when he gets his conversion. You guys know who Saul was, right? He uh, chased down Christians, he killed them. You know, that was, that was his main goal was to, to go and find all those professing Christ and he got an order signed document that says, yeah, you can crucify him, you can kill him, you, you, you do what you need to do. But if we look at Acts 9, 17 through 20. So here's, here's what happened, you know, so he's, he's on the road and he gets struck by God, knocked off, was it his horse? I'm assuming it was a horse. I don't think he was riding a donkey all around, right? So he's riding his horse around, he gets knocked off and he's immediately blinded by the power of God. So, if you want to find a way to be completely humbled by God, that's one of them. And maybe if you're running in the wrong direction and you're pretty much trying to destroy the things of God, I don't know, I mean, maybe God will level you just like that. Pray it doesn't happen, but you know, God is an effective God and he can change anybody, even those who are choosing to kill Christians. So, right, so we have this, we have this thing of where, you know, he's, He's struck him by God. He's blinded. You know, he, uh, he, gives, him, he gives him instructions. He, get, he says, go find Ananias, right? You know, and he says, uh, he gives instructions to Saul and he gives instructions to Ananias. So he's like, hey, what do I do? And he says, go find this man named Ananias. And then, uh, you know, then Ananias, he responds. He says, I go find this guy, Saul. It says, in verse 17, it says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. So here, here's what he did. He, he said he placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you might see again. So that's the first thing. So what he did, he placed his hands on him and he recovered his sight, but he didn't stop there. And he said, he says, that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there was, there was two things that happened. So when we talk about the basic Christian doctrines, what's the next step that we see? Laying on of hands. So next week, we're, we're really kind of already, because I'm telling you, this progression of how this stuff happens, it all falls in order. So we're going to look a little bit more next week on, as far as on the laying of hands, but he lays his hands on him and he says, you know, I've come that you might see again and that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. So then it says immediately something like scales from, fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. So he received his sight and it says, then he got up and was baptized. What kind of baptism is this? Water baptism, right? He got, so he was, so, uh-oh, messing us up now. You mean he got filled with the Holy Spirit and then he got baptized? Why? He, he was our, well, he had to have been saved. Now, this wasn't the traditional, like, all right, let's say the sinner's prayer. He came into a life-recognizing uh, exposure to the presence of God, where God was no longer undeniable, but so real that he had a change of mind. He had a, a, a repentance. He had faith to believe, because that's the only way he could receive the Holy Spirit. So he was already saved. So he received sight, he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but then after he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he was baptized in water. So you can do it backwards, I guess. 
right? But most people get baptized with water, but they never dip into getting baptized with the Holy Spirit is the main takeaway we want to make sure that you understand today. You know, he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So what does that mean that he was doing also, if you really read into it? He was fasting also. It's like, man, this heathen was doing all of these things? Yeah, that's because he came, he was confronted by the power of God so, in such a magnitude that it wrecked his life. It was a complete turning. He could no longer deny the presence of God. So he laid his hands on him, filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And then if we look at verse 20 real quick, just a little bit further down on that verse nine, it says, at once he began to preach in the synagogue. Okay, so you're telling me a guy that has denied Christ and comes to a life-shaking reality of who God is, repents, is baptized, by the Holy Spirit, baptized in water, fasted just for a little bit, ate a little bit, regained his strength, and just a few moments later, now he's speaking and he's preaching with power and with authority, and he's driven by the Holy Spirit to all of a sudden, now he's producing an effective work in ministry? Absolutely, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. It wasn't Paul that accomplished these things. It was the Holy Spirit in him. And it's, that's very consistent in the word. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they began to speak with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they began to immediately do something. It, it produced a radical change. So Jude 20, I don't know if you guys have ever read this, but it says, but you dear friends, build yourself up. Build who? Yourself up, self-edification, self-encouraging. Build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. So this scripture really supports the idea of when we re receive that initial gift of tongues, that this gift is for personal edifications. And, and Jude communicates that pray in the spirit to build yourself up in your most holy faith. Right? Romans 8, 6, or 26 through 27, it says, in the same way, the spirit helps in our weakness. We, don't, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes with us, with groanings that word can, words cannot express. Have you guys ever heard anybody speak in tongues? That's exactly what the heck you're getting. Groanings, words that you can't understand, it sounds kind of ridiculous. I know uh, I've prayed in the spirit before and my kids have asked my wife, what is daddy saying? I don't know what my wife said, but daddy might not know either, right? Because man, I'm building myself in my, up in my most holy faith by praying in the spirit. Let me tell you one of the coolest things about praying in the spirit, and it's supported by scripture. It says, when we pray, like right there at the end, it says, and he who searches our heart, this is in verse 27 of chapter eight, Romans, it says, and he who searches our heart knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance to God's will. And that is why praying in the Spirit is so impactful. When we pray in the Spirit, we pray the perfect will of God. How many of you guys have ever prayed in the natural? And man, we're selfish. We're praying selfish, motivated prayers. Oh, Lord, I pray I'd get a raise. Lord, I'll, I'll give to the church, but Lord, I need a raise, you know, because it's self-survival, right? And maybe that's not what God wants, 
We're praying according to our will rather than the perfect will of God, right? So it says that when we pray in the spirit, we pray the perfect will of God. And that's what we need to learn to pray. But I'll tell you what, if we don't know the will of God, pray in the spirit. Because the word of God says that we, when we pray in the spirit, we are praying the perfect will of God. And I think that when we pray in the spirit, then God will deposit what, what it's actually meaning because we won't just pray without understanding, but it says to pray with understanding also. Because I'll tell you what, there's been times that I've, I don't know what to do or where to go or what the next step is. I begin to pray in the spirit and then all of a sudden I come to an understanding and say, okay, now I know where to go. Because I prayed and God released it to me. And, but I didn't stay in, you know, it wasn't this continual ignorance thing. It's that I prayed in the spirit and then I prayed whatever the perfect prayer was that unlocked the door that took us into the next place. But sometimes that only happens by praying in the spirit. So today, if you've never been baptized with water, you know, God's word says, believe and be baptized. It's that simple. Believe and be baptized. Also today, the Holy Spirit is available to all who ask in faith to receive it. You know, the only prerequisite for each of these baptisms is that you've asked Jesus into your heart and that you've committed to serve him all the days of your life, choosing to be a disciple. I got a picture for you guys that really gives a excellent description of what true discipleship is. Choosing to be a disciple. What does Matthew 28, 19 say? It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So this is the first step. We go and we make disciples. Once people have committed to be a disciple, which always represents what? A follower of Christ. It says, then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? So the definition of disciple, it's a person who continues in God's word until they experience freedom. It's something that we do, it's a lifelong process, right? If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You're not a disciple if you're not continually following Christ, right? But it says, go therefore and make disciples and then baptize them. But here's the coolest thing right here, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus has already paid the ultimate price and every single one of those are available to us now. You know, at the time of John the Baptist, Jesus had not yet died and went to heaven, right? So baptism, instructions, doctrines about baptisms. Water baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit. You know, I know that a lot of people wait a, wait a long time from initial salvation to actually praying to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with that, but I feel until you make that intentional choice to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there is a facet of your uh, Christian walk that you're gonna be lacking in. It says, Jesus said, it is better that I go that I might send the Holy Spirit to you. This free gift that I desire to give you. And in receiving a gift, we have to receive it. Okay? You guys stand up with me this morning. We'll close. I know water baptism some, sometimes seems not as radical as baptism in the Holy Spirit, but sometimes it requires the same amount of boldness to walk up there to say, hey, I'm choosing to follow Christ professing your faith amongst fellow believers. 
It takes boldness. It takes confidence. It, it takes a willful choice. But the prerequisite is salvation. But he does, God doesn't just want us being water baptized. He wants us being baptized in the Holy Spirit also. That's really super hard to unpack this whole Holy Spirit in just this short nugget of a sermon. And I think we're going to go, we will go through a series of baptism of the Holy Spirit a little bit more in depth and give more time to really just look at it and get, give you guys a chance to process it. Because I really feel this morning, man, is a, I gave you a lot of scripture. I gave you a lot of context. I gave you a lot of information. But the two things, when we say basic Christian doctrines, that instructions are doctrines about baptism, that we would understand these elementary principles are that for water baptism, and because we live in the new covenant, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why would you go your whole li lifetime without an awesome gift and just try to survive? when God has already provided the gift and he holds it out open-handed and said, if you, if you desire this, I'll give it to you. I have good gifts to give to you, but you have to receive them. If we got a prayer team available this morning, go ahead and come on up. And uh, if either of these, you know, or, you know uh, if you're like, man, I, no way, I can't wrap my mind around this, but I pray that God would give me more understanding and as I read his word, I'd come to an understanding of what this really means. I'm okay with that. If you're here this morning and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're like, hey, man, I don't want to go another day without this gift in my life. Man, come on up. We got prayer teams that'll pray for you. But just know, if you've never received salvation, faith unto Christ, man, you can't really receive the Holy Spirit yet because you haven't even received the first gift, which was the gift of his son, right? Now, the awesome thing is, you know, you know, when you guys go through the car wash, you can hit the basic or you can get the semi-ultimate or you can get the $12 special and they take all your money and it's the ultimate car wash, right? That's really what's available to us today. It's not the basic rinse. It's that we have everything available to us. And what it's pivotal on is what button you decide to push. All I want is salvation. I'm good with that. Man, you ain't going to get the chrome wheels all shining. But sometimes it's because we don't know that that ultimate wash is available. Is what I feel is the real reason we don't. Because remember, you're not paying the price for it. Christ already did that. So who would not pick that ultimate car wash every single time if you didn't have to pay for it? I would every single time. So this morning, the father just says, hey, I have good gifts to those who ask and those who desire all who are hungry and thirsty, they shall be filled. Conditional promises, but available to all those who seek that they might find. Father, we thank you this morning for each one here, Lord. I thank you that, uh, man, the, the instructions of baptism, they're so deep, they're so awesome, and they're so necessary to this life we live. Father, I pray for each one under the sound of my voice. If they've never received either, you know, if they've never, if they've never been water baptized and that's something you're encouraging them to do and, and they desire to be obedient to your word, that they'd be bold today and they would choose to do that as soon as possible. Father, also the baptism of your Holy Spirit. You have not because you ask not. That, Father, that we would ask for those good gifts and that, Father God, you would freely give. 
Lord, I pray for those who are really trying to wrap their mind around it, Lord, that their minds would be still. And Father, that their spirit and their faith would come to life to receive that which you have asked us to receive. Father, I pray against any barrier from from receiving the Holy Spirit today in anybody's life here, God, that they would receive all that you have for them into the fullness of your goodness. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you give good gifts to those who ask. And there's nothing that you withhold from us, God. Lord, I pray for each one here that you bless them spiritually, physically, and emotionally, God, that as they go in this next week, Father, I pray for just a, a sense of your presence. Father, a, just an overwhelming sense of your goodness. Father, that you would just uh, cause your face to shine on us, God. Father, I bless each one here, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.